this series, and, and as you can see, and, and thanks to Louise again just for these amazing slides, um, is unveiling the reason for the season. And if you want to, we're using Tim Keller's book, so all credit to him um, in terms of the basis of this particular series. And it's called Hidden Christmas. Uh, and obviously Tim Keller, who passed away not too long ago, just an amazing man of God, a gift to the church, uh, led the church, I think it's called Redeemer Church in New York City, and did an amazing job in, in, in bringing back just the, the, the beauty of who Jesus is in, in every aspect of our lives. But the point is, is that this is interesting time of year because it's a, not only is it a holy day and the, the most kind of holy day of, of, of Christianity when, as Grant says, God broke into Project Planet Earth, but it's also a holiday from a secular term, right? And people come and they celebrate Christmas. And yes, the, the tongue in cheek with uh, Father Christmas, Saint, uh, Santa Claus, whoever you want to call him, uh, the whole thing around St. Nicholas, whatever, we're using this because there's a lot of people say, oh, Christmas tree, Santa Claus, whatever, it's a bad thing. But on one level, it also gives us a moment in time where there's an opportunity to actually inject what Christmas is all about and bring out the hiddenness. Because what you have here is, is you, you have the discomfort from those who are not religious, those who aren't believers, and they hear these crazy Christ, Christian carols going on in the shops. Hawk, the herald angels sing. I mean... I mean, who uses the word hawk anymore, you know? Um, and then round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. I mean, let's be honest, it's a little old English, isn't it? And it's not quite something that, that most people, even us as Christians, it's like a little kind of off-center. But uh, like I say, the Christians as well, what we do is as much as we notice increasingly also the fact that there's this hiddenness because now we've got carols like joy to the world becomes I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and those are fun, and there's nothing wrong with it. But the, the real origins of our, our Christian faith, Jesus being born, the epoch of time that, that Grant has just shared with us, are hidden because of the secular setup in which we find ourselves. So the secular holiday promotes all these great things, right, so that are up on my slide. Everything from family to forgiveness to peace to the world to the festival of lights and we have Christmas carols and all those kind of things. And it's also a season for giving, right? Not just to the people close to you. I, I, I love Christmas. I learned from my mom to be generous and just to, in some ways, lavish our kids with the gift because we were lavished with the gift of Jesus, which I'm going to get into. But also for those who are in need and we, we look to, to help in terms of those things. The challenge for Christians and, and for us is that this of course, these are enriching. Of course, these are congruent with our beliefs, right? And so there's this kind of, yes, it is this, but it's not that. And, and where do the origins come? And how do we kind of move away from the commercialization, which is yet to stay? Follow the money. And if there's money in Christmas, I mean, you know, with the organization I work for, this is the big time where they make most of their money. Because why? Because everybody's buying gifts and presents and all of those kind of things. And it's called the holidays. And if you watch any American movie, it's no longer happy Christmas, but happy holidays. The thing is, the true roots of Christian Christianity or the Christmas, I mean, even Christ Mass, right, gets hidden in the happy holiday kind of secular world. But what we've got to do is we've got to realize that actually, yes, it's a time for family, but it's for the family of God. And we understand that in the context of forgiveness, this is the main principle of our faith, is there's repentance and forgiveness, and Jesus made that possible. There's the peace that the gospel brings, and it was spoken of aptly this morning by Sherry, and last week we, we also spoke about it. 
And the festival of lights is the light of the world, Jesus. See, without that light, we're, we're lost. And then ultimately, Jesus selflessly gave of himself. And he is the true gift. And so it's important for us to just look at that and make sure that that hiddenness gets brought to the surface in these moments. And like I've said, we become increasingly, the world becomes increasingly unaware of the origins of Christmas. But it's an opportunity for us to be actually where people start to ask questions because when we do have carols is, who is this everlasting Lord? Who is this God that forgives and reconciles the sinner? Because of what's in those songs and in those things that happen in stores and, and, and Christmas carol moments. But it is a great time to highlight the origins of Christmas. Because we've got this wider audience that are very keen and are trying to find out what's going on. So the first indication of Christmas, as you know, I don't know if you saw, they started putting up lights even a couple of weeks ago, right? We're in October, for goodness sake. And it gets earlier and earlier. And when you walk into a room, and it's a dark room at night, like to try and find something is quite difficult. And we all know, Ashkom eh? and all of what's happened over the last little while, you know, you can be doing something and boom, the lights go out. I mean, I don't know if you were watching the rugby last night, but I think... Did you see the South Africans' trauma when the lights went out? <laughs> what? Did Eskom kind of arrive in Paris? I don't know. But, and we all started laughing because you could see. They were like, what just happened? I think it was Damien Willem, so you could see. Yeah, <laughs> Ramaphosa as well, yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, you can't actually see it unless you put on a light, unless you've got a flashlight, unless you illuminate. And, and I loved it. A little while ago, we were praying online. It was actually during the COVID time. And uh, there were a group of guys at churches that were praying together. And I, this guy was sharing. He says, you know, when the light of God comes, darkness flees and tries to hide in the shadows. But a shadow cannot exist without the light coming and just dissipating what is there. And, you know, Christian, Chris, Christmas contains so many spiritual truths, which we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks, right up to Christmas Day. But if we don't grasp this first one, that the world is a dark place, Let's say Israel, Palestine, Ukraine, Russia. I mean, we can just keep going on, can't we? Um, I mean, there are some lights. I was going to say the All Blacks, but probably not too soon. Hey? Uh, the world is a dark place, and we'll never find a way or see the reality unless Jesus is our light to illuminate the path that which he's called us to. Now, I know I was listening to some commentary, political commentary, and I saw one of the Americans get up and say, well, you know, um, we don't have to be religious to have good, good morals. And on one level, that's true. But actually, if we don't have the illumination, the light of Jesus, then the path that actually God created us for cannot be walked out because we actually don't have the ability to see it. So John 1 verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world does not recognize Jesus. And in fact, is quite... In almost uh, aggressive towards Christianity and towards Jesus and who he actually is. So Matthew 4 it, it quotes Isaiah verse 9. And that's actually where I'm going to stick most of this morning. Is the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's what Christmas is all about. See, darkness in the Bible actually means two things. Evil, which is generally how people take it, but it also means ignorance. Not being able to see and do enough about the evil in our world. And so it's important that in all of this, 
we look at what was happening at the time of Jesus. Interesting what I've got there, right? Violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing, oppression, families ripped apart with grief. Hello? What, what is different from today than 2,000 years ago with Jesus? And as Grant said, at that epoch of time, God spoke into that space. But you know that before Isaiah chapter 9, there's Isaiah chapter 8. Go figure. But Isaiah chapter 8 actually informs Isaiah chapter 9. And it says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists, even um, a word didn't like that word and said there's no such word, who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and look upward and they will curse their king and their God. How many hey, people curse God because of the way that their lives are, but they perpetuate it by the decisions and the way that they've chosen to live without the light? Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Now see, see what's happening there. Can, can you see all of what's going on? Is Actually, this whole evil and suffering is people are not looking to Jesus, but they're looking to themselves. They're looking to the earth. They're looking to spiritualists. They're looking to those who are Maybe the people, the educationalists, the politicians, they're looking to them for the answers and not to God. And because of that, what actually happens with all of this is they land up in utter darkness. We perpetuate that. And people make the same claim today. It's technology that's going to save us. Everybody thought the internet was going to be this amazing thing, but the internet has become the dark web. Economics. Hey, let's do it this way. Let's do Marxism. Let's do socialism. Let's do capitalism. Let's, none of that will save us. Whether, no matter where you fit on that, 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 that scale, it will not take us into a place of redemption and light and resurrection life. See, we believe that we can end evil and suffering through education and through innovation. You speak to anybody around that. In fact, a New York Times article says the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. In other words, we have the light within us and we are the ones who can dispel the darkness of this world. We can overcome poverty, injustice, violence, and evil. If we work together, we can create a world of unity and peace. My question is, is but can we? It's actually, the opposite is true, right? Humanity cannot save itself. I cannot save myself. You cannot save yourself. I can't even save you. And, and the reality is we try with ideologies and politics and all of these kind of things to deal with the darkness and the problems of humanity, but we can't deal with it. See, when we don't believe in God or a spiritual world, then what we do is we go to science, right? What does the science say? Don't, don't you get a bit of a, the science says, take a vaccine. The science says social distance. And we spoke about that last week. The science, the science. 
but actually it takes us into a deeper place of darkness. If you, 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 if you, unless you are kind of not watching the news and not looking around what's happening in our world today, it is getting darker, right? And that's what the Bible says will happen. Men will invent ways of doing evil. How can a, a, a grown man walk in and chop a baby's head off? I mean, really? That is just oppression and evil at its highest. And in all of this, the fact is that the message of Christianity does tell us that things are really bad, but there is hope, and his name is Jesus. So things may be dark, but actually we are called to be the light into this world only once the light comes in and actually illuminates us. But do you notice that the light in that text doesn't come from within, it comes from outside. And again, his name is Jesus. So, like I've said, we... Is this going right? What's happening here? Went the wrong way. I don't know why that was there. But anyway, the thing with this whole kind of uh, text was it's actually looking at the light and the sun and the dawning, right? Because I don't know about you, but when you watch a sunrise or when you watch the sun setting, it's a beautiful thing to do. Just stop and we, we kind of feel... I don't know about you, but there's a peace that just comes as a result of that. But the sun is the source of life. We know that without the sun, that's what's so beautiful in Revelation, where it tells us there will be no more sun in eternity. God will be our sun. But we have a sun now, and without that sun, we would not have the warmth. And actually, without the sun, we would just freeze to death. So, and it goes on to tell us that we only exist because the life of God exists to produce life in us. Without God holding us all together, without Jesus by the word of his mouth holding all together, we would be lost now, we've lost our original relationship with God. Go to Genesis chapter 3. That original image of God got marred because of sin. And as a result of that, that's why we die. It injected a death into us physically. That's why we still have to die. And that's why we spiritually died because of that moment. And we know that death, again, I always mention this. It is, for me, the most phenomenal scripture where Jesus is coming to resurrect at Lazarus. And a few minutes before, he's weeping. And, and he's not just kind of shedding the Hollywood tear. He is weeping because he, his friend is dead and he sees what death does. We were never made to die. But when sin came in, it caused death. And with all of this stuff, we have lost the meaning. We've landed up with addictions and we've landed up with discontent and dissatisfaction and shame and struggles and identity and all of that inability to change our context and who we are. So... When you drove home last night from the rugby, did you put your headlights on? Because you know what? If you don't have streetlights and you've got Ashcom happening, then what happens is, is you, you can't see what's in front of you. And if you can't see what's in front of you, you don't know what the reality is in front of you because there may be an obstacle. There may be a rock. There may be a cat that runs across the road. There may be a, a myriad of things that could happen, but we need our headlights on. Because it reveals the truth about what's in front of us. And that's why we need the light of Jesus and the revelation of who he is. So he can be the light of our headlights of our heart and mind to actually navigate this world in the way that he's called us to. Because without life, there's not enough information and there's not enough truth for us to navigate Project Planet Earth and our life. John chapter 1, 5 and 6 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare it to you. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. No. Remember, darkness is the absence of light. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live in the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, 
and the life where nobody comes to hit the Father except through Him. So the Son shows us truth. And I could probably put a, play a bit of words there. The Son, S-O-N, shows us truth. The Son, the light, shows us the truth that's in front of us. Because God is the source of all truth. We've just read it in that particular text. If God doesn't come in and reveal himself to us, which he does on a continual daily basis, but what people do is they become futile in their thinking because they drum that down. And they rather become lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And so it's through his word, when we read his word, it illuminates and it brings about because the message of the gospel kind of starts to creep up in us and, and, and does what it needs to do. The sun is beautiful. Like I said, I guarantee you if I looked at your phones, many of you, most of the photographs you've taken is of a sunset or a sunrise, right? One of my favorite things to do is when I'm on holiday is to get up early and actually watch the sunrise. I've got myriads of photographs. When the, the sea, when you're at the coast, and the rock pools, and it's just, it's, and there's no wind, and the sun comes up and it shines on the water, and it, it's just picture perfect, right? Because the sun is a beautiful thing. It is dazzling. It is something where, you know, you, you just stop and you just watch. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be. And that's why Jesus himself is like that. He's like a sunrise. That's what it's talking about. When he dawns, when he shines his light, it's like, oh, my goodness. I just, okay, Lord, you're with me. I was chatting with somebody recently saying when they went to the UK, they fell into depression because, the, you know, it shines once or twice a day. No, once or twice a year. But there are places on the earth where certainly during certain seasons, there's only light for a couple of hours. And actually people struggle with depression. And that's why light is such an important thing. Because God is the source, not just of that, that but also of truth, but of also beauty and joy. And, and why with all of these things? Because actually joy is a derivative of the fact that actually when we find him, joy rises up inside of us. It's a natural response to who Jesus is. And that's why he is the dawning of the light. That's why we cannot generate that within ourselves. And the thing is, you know how he did it? He became flesh. He became a man. He became a baby. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. I won't go into all the peace stuff. We've done enough of that the last two weeks. The fact is that these titles belong to God and God alone. And he's God, but he's also man. And that's what blows my mind is Jesus maintains and retains his humanity for eternity. By taking on flesh, he is both, he is the God of flesh. He is the God man. When we see him, we will see the scars in his body. God descended and became a man. So he was born. And that's what no other religion can claim is that, you know, he was a human being. He wasn't this avatar. Like we said in the Colossian series, he wasn't this like spook who kind of came in a spiritual form and kind of popped in like an angel or whatever else. No, no, he was flesh and he was a man and yet he is God. So the implications of being born, and this is, we're going to unpack a lot of this over the next couple of weeks, is that he is the almighty God and the everlasting father. Simply... You cannot be indifferent about Jesus. He is either going to cheese you off like nothing else, which a lot of he did to many and they walked away, or you're going to be fearful of him. Remember, Jesus calms the storm. I mean, the disciples, they are fishermen, and they, it says they were fearful. 
Then Jesus goes, peace be still. And then it says, then they were utterly afraid. But if Almighty God is born as a child, I don't know that there's anything else that we could do but fall on our faces and worship him. Because he's also the counselor and the prince of peace. Because when we're going through difficult times, who do we like to turn to? We like to turn to people who've kind of gone that road before us. If whatever's going on in your life, a broken relationship, a divorce, a, a lost job, a retrenchment, not really helpful to talk to somebody who's a kind of multimillionaire and doesn't have to worry about finances. Rather speak to somebody who's gone through it. And that's the beauty of our Jesus. That's the beauty of our God. Is that what he did is he injected himself into Project Planet Earth so that we have somebody who empathizes, somebody who's gone before us, somebody who knows what we are going through. And it's not somebody who has no clue, but he's walked in our shoes. And that's what's so important is that he's inside of our experiences already. And that's why we can go to him. And he's a God who has suffered. He's the God who's been friends have abandoned him. And that's why we can go to him and we can say, Lord, help me process this. Help me forgive. Help me walk a road of redemption. Because he was crushed for those injustices. He's, he was tortured for us. And that's what that whole text talks about. Because Christmas shows that he knows and understands every aspect of our lives that we're going through. You know, Dorothy Sayers says, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of the human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money, to the worst of horrors and pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty, and he suffered infinite pain. All for us, for you and for me, and thought it all the worthwhile as a result of it. Wow. That's an amazing text. So Jesus has become one of us. And because of that, actually he has, like I've said, he enmeshed who he is, the God, the Almighty, into a human form. And because of that, what we have is we are saved because of what he did on the cross for us. Because we could not do that because there needed to be a sinless sacrifice. And only Jesus could do that and only a man could do that. But no man was born without sin. But Jesus was because he was born of Holy Spirit. And he did it voluntarily, freely, and out of sheer love. Now that is beautiful. And when you sit with him, he is like a sunrise. And the light dawns on your life and it brings about peace. And it brings about a countenance to you that actually you like Moses, that when you go out to the world, you shine for him and you leave his fingerprints on people's lives. See, when we find something beautiful, we don't, as I said, we just have to be, hey? Just to sit. There's no duty. And you know what? We get to serve him. We don't have to, but we get to. We get to serve his community. We get to serve his bride. And, you know, it's not about just obeying him because it's, oh, I've got to do this. Like my kids, you know, guys, wash the dishes. They do the teenage walk, you know. Oh. But we do it because he's just beautiful. 
because he's wonderful. Tim Keller, of course. Oh, Timothy. Timothy. Sorry, Timothy. Jesus is the divine light of the world because he brings a new life to replace our spiritual deadness because he shows us that the truth that heals our spiritual blindness and because he is the beauty that breaks our addictions to money, to sex, and to power. As wonderful counselor, he walks with us even into and through the shadows of death. He is the light of all of us. And when all of those lights go out, he is the light of grace. So how does that light become ours? How, how does it become ours to be able to walk in this or simply and to finish off for unto us a child is given? He didn't say, oh, you asked for a child. You asked for me to come down and to do all of No, no. We are given a gift and his name is Jesus. And he, that gift is simply received. And I don't have to articulate that any better than what um, Sherry's already said. You don't sit at the Christmas morning when there's all these presents and you all sit there staring at the gifts. No, you've got to open them. Got, when somebody gives you a gift, unless you unwrap it, unless you use it, it's actually never been appropriated. It's never been used. We've got to use this gift called Jesus because it's not by our own strength because Isaiah 9 verse 5 says, every warrior's boot used in the battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be a fuel for the fire. What is he telling us? We can't do this. We are not going to do this on our own strength. That victory is going to require his strength and his light to be shining through us because everything will be burnt up. We can't do it. Even with our own anima, even with the most intellectual understanding of what's happening, we cannot do it. In fact, intellect gets in the way of what God wants to do in and through us. See, someone else is fighting for us and he's going to return. And as Grant said, when he does return, guess what? King of kings, Lord of lords, tattooed on his thigh. To those who say that tattoos are evil. Jesus has got one on his thigh. And he's going to come back as the warrior king. No longer the lamb, but the warrior king coming to take what is his and his bride. And Isaiah, you know, doesn't actually tell us really all of this until later on in, at the end of Isaiah. And it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought, had brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. When Annalisa stands up here, this, I was smiling because I knew I was going to be sharing this test. By his wounds, by what he has done, we are healed. He, the Tony sacrifice includes healing, not just physical, but emotional and spiritual and all of those things. And that's why the word is unhelpful because it doesn't translate well from the Greek to the English. We go, oh, we were saved. No, it's called sozo. Sozo, as somebody say, but it's not sozo because that sounds like zozo hat. Okay? It, it's sozo. It's got a za into it. And it's the sozo is to be completely healed from the inside out. And that's what Jesus does for us. See, a child was given for us for a purpose. Jesus went and paid the penalty of sin that needed to be paid to God. It wasn't to the devil. It was to God to propitiate, to pay for, to take away the wrath of God that should have been poured on us. But it was poured on Jesus. But because there was no sin, it couldn't land anywhere. So when we trust Jesus to work on our behalf, and we put away all our efforts, all our moral understanding, what we can do to make this work. And we receive the forgiveness that God has for us. He accepts us and he deploys Holy Spirit to come and renew us and come and renew us from the inside out. See, this great salvation is because the light of Jesus, the light that is dawned, comes and shines into our hearts. And what we need to do is we need to admit that this is an undeserved gift of grace. And that's where we need to start with the series. 
We need to swallow up our pride and receive what God has for us. Because if we don't admit all our flaws and everything else, then we cannot actually receive it. Because imagine this Christmas that you get a gift and you open it up and it's a diet book. And it's from a friend. Or maybe the other book you open up and it says something like, um, overcoming selfishness. Because by receiving it and saying okay to it and saying thank you, you're agreeing that you're an overweight, obnoxious person. Those are hard gifts to receive, eh? But actually Jesus is one of the hardest gifts to receive because we've got to admit that we can do nothing about our condition and that we need the gift of grace. And that's what Christmas means. Christmas means we cannot save ourselves. God had to break into Project Planet Earth. God had to sit around in the Trinity and go, okay, now is the time, like Ron said. And that's why we cannot achieve this by a good moral life. It is impossible. We need to accept the gift that God has given us. We need to admit that we're a sinner. We need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to understand that it's not by anything else but by His grace. And we simply have faith in that. We give up control. We say, come and take the driver's seat. Put the headlights on and take us into the future, God. Because Jesus descended into greatness. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? But he's asked us to do the same. To put away our pride. To put it not just in our pocket, but to put it way away. And to accept this amazing gift. Because that's the only way that we can be regenerated through Holy Spirit. Where we put this away and we say we fall on Jesus. Do you know that you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up? But if you don't humble yourself and Jesus falls on you, you don't want that. Because when Jesus died, darkness fell. There's the text. And then he descended into darkness so that we don't have to follow that way. Jesus did that for us so that now his light can come. And the promise of Christmas cannot be discerned unless we first admit that we cannot save ourselves. And we cannot go ahead in the series unless you understand that you can do nothing about your circumstances. And it's his unmerited grace. We can't earn it. Ephesians chapter 2, right? We are saved by grace, through faith, so that nobody can boast. There's nothing to boast about it. Without this foundational uh, truth, Christmas will remain hidden for us forever. And let's be a community that unravels and unveils all of what the season is about to the friends and family that we interact with. When you have them over for Christmas, have a Christmas tree and we'll go into that. Have some fun. Sing songs of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, you know, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. That's fun and family stuff. But let's not forget the foundation. That God became man at this time. And because of that, the light of Jesus can shine into our lives and unlock all of what it what he needs to do to bring about peace into our world. And that's the only, for me, that is the only antidote to our chaotic world. And he will. He will, at the consummation of this day, bring it all up. And eternity will start with the new heaven and the new earth, with those who have received and appropriated the invitation of Jesus and have allowed that light to come and regenerate them. Won't you stand, please?